Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Happy Memorial Day, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Hey, hey, it's Memorial Day. Happy Monday, May the 29th, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. It's a special edition here on the Faith Radio Network. So it's Memorial Day. I thought we would give a little consideration to some of the memorials that God gives us as his people to remember, to reconnect ourselves to times and places and events. So scripture itself in its entirety actually serves as a kind of memorial um, through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, we have this window into and are invited to participate in the act of remembering the extraordinary nature and deeds of God. So um, scripture is a kind of memorial, and so it is a tool by which God gives us a marker um, of places and times and events that God wants us to return to over and over and over again that we might remember and never forget. There are also some significant memorials in the Bible that I just want to lift up quickly to you um, today as you consider this Memorial Day. Um, The Passover as a memorial. You'll remember the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and God sent Moses as their deliverer. Um, There were nine plagues used to convince Pharaoh to let them go, and then the tenth plague being the death of the firstborn. But on the night of the tenth plague, God gave Israel special instructions Um, They were to kill a lamb and put that blood on the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. And that way, um, the death would pass over those homes as it visited others. And God um, commanded the Passover to be observed every single year as a memorial, a reminder to God's people that he had delivered them from Egyptian bondage. It was memorialized um, in a meal and in an event we call the Passover. Now, if you fast forward and you think about the memorial that God institutes in the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, that becomes, I guess, the Last Supper, which becomes the Lord's Supper, that started out as a celebration of the Passover meal, a, a, a celebration of this memorial meal. But it's transformed when Jesus breaks the bread and says, this is my body given for you. And pours the cup and said, this is the covenant of the new covenant sealed in my blood, not a lamb's blood on your doorpost, but me, the lamb of God um, who takes away the sins of the world. Like, right, it's a different kind of memorial. And then Jesus says, you know, do this every time you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper becomes a great memorial. There are these memorial um, events throughout the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant and then the 12 stones of Joshua would be another really significant example of two memorials, one that speaks to the other. So the Ark of the Covenant, um, uh, you can you can read about it in Hebrews 9 and Exodus 16 and Numbers 17 and Deuteronomy 31, I mean, on and on and on. In the Ark of the Covenant, there were these memorials of God's provision and God's plan and God's law contained therein, a pot of manna, Aaron's rod, the 12 tablets. And then it's the Ark of the Covenant that they are um, carrying. Um, Joshua and the priests are carrying 
across the Jordan, through the Jordan, which, again, as a nod back to the Exodus, turns into dry land as the children of Israel um, uh, pass through these waters. This very memorable event um, is memorialized, memorialized as they arrive in the promised land. And they set up these 12 stones. Now, here's one really cool thing. The 12 stones that are set up on the other side of the river is just one set of these stones. There's also this curious note in Joshua 4, 9 that indicates that the Israelites erected a second memorial of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests were standing, carrying what? The Ark of the Covenant, another memorial. Um, And so this memorial uh, would have been hidden under the waters and only exposed when the Jordan ran dry in times of great desperation. And those are the times we maybe need to most be reminded of God's faithfulness, his power, his plan, his provision. So on this Memorial Day, I want you to consider about the memorials that God gives us in Scripture. You're listening to a special Memorial Day edition of Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's a joy to welcome Jessica Manfrey here to Mornings with Carmen. She's the author of Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse, and the God Who Goes With Us. Jessica, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. My goodness, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Jessica is a licensed social worker. She's a military spouse. Never Alone is... Uh, is a book that I just think is, well, first of all, it's really accessible. The chapters are brief. It's touching. It's honest. So who's it for and why did you write it? So the intended intended audience was military and veteran spouses, right? But I make it completely clear in my introduction that anyone can pick this up because I think that we are unified, unfortunately, and experiencing loneliness. And, you know, I'm hoping that I created a resource that kind of navigates a light through it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's actually so much what I wrote down. I'm like, you know, I, I recognize that mil- military and veteran spouses have this unique um, challenge. At least it was unique until COVID. And now everybody is mm-hmm. isolated, suffering uh, mental illness challenges, disconnected from their spouses sometimes and desiring mm-hmm. um, to find community. So um, so thank you for the gift of this book. Talk with us about um, Ruth, because Ruth figures prominently in this conversation. How does the story mm-hmm. of Ruth really, you know, connect to to us in terms of hope and um, and really just the loving kindness of God towards us? You know, when I was going to write this book, I already knew that the topic was going to be loneliness. That was a given. I knew, you know, how I wanted to approach it. And then trying to figure out which scripture I was going to incorporate. You know, I sat down one day and and Ruth just came to me. Right. And Mm. for me, it was just everything where you go, I go, that connection, that steadfast faith, that hope, that love, you know, the unexpected relationship between the two, the way they carried each other. It mimicked what I see, you know, in service marriages and, and friendships. But I also feel like that is something that we can follow as human beings. Right. Um, when I think about what I hope, you know, we can take lesson wise from this is how deeply we need community and how deeply we need each other. Um, I think recognizing obviously that we're never truly alone. God is walking with us, but then also kind of getting back to our roots. Like I remember growing up, 
we knew all of our neighbors, you know, if we were doing something we shouldn't have, like they were chiming in and, you know, people cared well for one another. And I would say that today I don't necessarily see that as often. Um, and I, I hope we get back from it, back to it. I hope we can look at the story of Ruth and what they walked through, what they weathered, the things that they had against them and just how they prevailed. You know, I recently, this whole question about knowing your neighbors and actually knowing what's going on, not just in the house next door, but Mm -hmm. knowing the kids down the street. There've been a couple of recent headlines lately that, you know, like after the fact, terrible things that have happened. And after the fact, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a neighbor who's like, you know, well, you know, I've, I've been wondering what's going on there. I've been praying for them. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what's wrong with us as Christians that we're not, if you think something's wrong, like if you see something, say something, go knock on the door or have, you know, have a welfare check done. Like we, we ought to be pressing ourselves in more personally than we are, I guess, maybe from a, from a social worker perspective as well, Jessica, I mean, do you just, do you just see that things have changed among us Mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a culture, as a people, even just in the last few years, like we just seem very distant from each other. Completely. And I think, you know, I can bring a different lens to it because, you know, I've had the opportunity to live all over this, this country because of mm. my husband's service. So, you know, I've, I've lived in California, I've lived in Alaska, I've lived in pockets of the Midwest, and, you know, now we're settled in a small town in North Carolina. And so that has given me such a rich view of like what's possible and what goes wrong and why it goes wrong. And I think at mm. the heart, we just aren't caring for each other. Like I could sit here and blame technology, right? We're not spending time connecting with one another and truly getting to know people on a deeper level or have conversation because we're buried in our phones. That's probably part of it. But I think we can also look at the way, you know, we've shifted perspective and how people are chasing purpose and are very driven and they've got this goal in mind and they don't care who they climb over to get to it. Or they're Mm. so horse blinders on because they're focusing on their family and their things. And it's just, it's kind of made us fall apart, I think a little bit as a society. And I think, you know, as Christians, um, we can do a better job. And I, I will tell you, honestly, I have lived in places where I've gone to church and not felt welcome. I have felt like a placeholder because we were temporary mm. and that, that's not what we're taught to do. We're supposed to be asking the hard questions. We're supposed to get to know each other on a deep level. And I just feel like, Right now, even in the church, it can be very superficial and surface level. Yeah, and I'm getting back to Ruth. I mean, talk about, you know, she left her home country because of famine, and she lived mm-hmm. in a foreign land, and while she was there, her boys got married. Um, mm-hmm. And and then, you know, she you fast forward, she's not just a widow, but she's a mom who's lost her sons, and so she's mm-hmm. going to sojourn back home. I mean, this is a a person had there not been people of loving kindness in every part of her story, we would not have mm-hmm. the story of Ruth because Ruth wouldn't have had a story to tell. Um, and so I think that you lifting her up as her storyline, as a helpful tool for us to use and allow God to use in terms of cultivating actually lots of different uh, parts of this conversation in Never Alone. We're talking with Jessica Manfrey. Her book is Never Alone. More with Jessica in just a moment. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Picking up in our conversation with Jessica Manfrey, you can connect with her uh, directly online and her work at Jessica Manfrey, M A N 
F-R-E, just one E in manfree.com, jessicamanfree.com. Her book is Never Alone, Ruth, the Modern Military Spouse, and the God Who Goes With Us. I actually think that we could call this Ruth the modern reality in America. (laughs) And the mm, God who goes with us. Right. Like, you it's so right. shared. The sense of, like, disconnect is so shared and the longing for community that you address and the loving kindness that, you know, is the answer to it. I want to ask a couple of military spouse-specific questions, if I might. Um, One is Please kind do. of a, a church-related question, and the other one is just really intensely personal. Like, if I want to be genuinely supportive of a military spouse who's you know, the, the service member has returned from deployment with a very deep soul wound. But, you know, my mm-hmm. friend is the military spouse. So how can I serve my friend recognizing that she is seeking to love a person who has returned with a soul wound that none of us can touch? That is a rough one. So we call that, um, you know, as a therapist, I call that uh, a moral injury. Mm, moral and injury. Mm. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's deep and it's, it's hard. What I would say, you know, if you were to navigate this with a friend is, is offering space and being present, telling her, you know, you're there for her, you know, scheduling like a way for her to kind of check out and check in with you, whether that's like, Hey, I'm going to plan lunch for us to connect, or Mm -hmm. you're sending her something simple as a Starbucks gift card to get herself a cup of coffee. Our community can be, and we are very proud, right? And Mm -hmm. I think it makes it very difficult to ask for help, you know, and sometimes you just have to show up and and really not even ask. It just happens. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's really no other way around it. I recently had a very good friend of mine um, who found a tumor and all in a space of a week and a half diagnosed with cancer, tumor removed. And we united from across the country to do a meal train and just be there. And like her husband was a little overwhelmed. He's like, no, no, like do this for someone else. And then we're like, no, we're going to do this for you. And then when she's well, you're going to carry this on. And that's how you repay kindness. You just, you keep it going. You you build that ripple of impact. I think I want to ask a question, Jessica, also about the church. And, I, and anytime mm-hmm. that I try to ask a question about the church, like everybody is thinking to themselves, well, the church is not a monolithic reality. But each and every one of us is a part of a worshiping community mm-hmm. of one variety mm-hmm. or another. And as you've already you know, suggested there, there are times that we don't, we don't treat people as, I don't know, we don't knit them in because we don't expect them to be there very long. That might be a college student. It might be, uh, you know, a, a nurse who's in town because she's just working a rotation at our hospital or, or it might be a military spouse. So can you just talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what, you know, the church, you know, a group of us might do to support military families and other people who are, you know, only only with us for a relatively brief period of time? I would say first, just truly be welcoming. Give them the opportunity to connect and plant those roots, even if they're temporary. Because Mm -hmm. one of the biggest drivers for our pain points is not feeling a sense of belonging. You know, I can tell you that I have moved every two to three years since I met my husband. And it is hard and we fast paced want to get connected, you know, aside from finding the best hairdresser in town, you know, Mm -hmm. we we want, we want to get our kids established with great doctors. We want to find a church that could be home for our family. And we want to be involved. We want to feel like we belong. And so I think really it's just opening up those opportunities, getting to know people and understanding that 
just because someone is, is only there for a brief time doesn't mean that they can't be as impactful in spreading the gospel and, and spreading the good news of Jesus regardless. And I borrow from my friend, Megan Brown, who's also an author, and she says this often, the church, this is me doing quotation marks in the air as well, will pay and send missionaries all over this world to spread this, this good news. But we have spouses that are doing it and you don't have to pay them because the military is going to move them all over this world. Like use us. We're here. We're waiting. I love that. I love that. I, I have a friend named Walt Wilson who was a Marine along. I mean, he's still a Marine, right? Once a Marine, always a Marine, but he's, he's an Forever. old guy now. <laughs> yeah. He's an old, he's an old guy now. And, um, and he talks about like the genius of God in deploying America, uh, American military around the world um, because it is an expression of the gospel in, in so many mm -hmm. places, in so many ways. So yeah, um, I, I totally resonate with that. Jessica Manfrey is our conversation partner today. Never Alone is the book. Tell us about um, Inspire Up. Oh, yeah. So I run a nonprofit with two other military spouses, and it is called Inspire Up. And the whole premise or mission is to serve our first responder and military community but then we also stand in the gap um, for those in need. And we do this, we have specific tailored programs for, for that community that I mentioned. But then every year on Giving Tuesday, which is always the Tuesday following Thanksgiving, we rally ambassadors all over the world to go into the community and be kind. You know, uh, it could be blood drives. It could be, you know, building blessing bags for the homeless. It could be collecting things for our foster kids. Whatever it looks like in that corner of, of your world, we're going to encourage you. We're going to provide you a grant to help fund some of these projects. And we want to radically change, you know, this way. It sounds like very cliche and cheesy, but like we want to infuse kindness. Mm -hmm. So much can be solved if we simply are there for one another. One of my favorite things to do in the world every year is to go around with a notepad, a sticky notepad and stick kind notes on random people's windows and um, you know cars and i do this because you never know what that person is going through and how radically you can change their life with just words um you know we've done events as a nonprofit where we've had spouses come up to us one in particular who said that she was contemplating suicide before our event mm. and you would never you would never expect that we don't know and we can't read minds right we just have to be present and be kind and and you know serve in the way that we were meant to one of the things that, uh, if you guys want to check it out, inspirefoundation.org, um, one of the things that Jessica, Maria, and Samantha say is we're trying hard to create the world our children already believe exists. I just I just mm -hmm. love that. Um, I love mm -hmm. what you guys are doing. I love why you're doing it. Um, and, and so, you know, just thank you for that. Inspireupfoundation.org. First of all, uh, I just want to say thank you. Like, thank you so much for um, your service, your family's service. Um, please give an encouraging word to your husband and his colleagues. We're so grateful for the members of the armed forces of every variety and all that they do um, in places and and at times that we don't know. Um, and mm -hmm. because of what they do, we can all go on living our lives. Um, and so please pass that gratitude along. But I want to extend that to you and to other military spouses, because you do a great service as well by supporting um, those men and women. And so thank you. Oh, that is very kind. I will absolutely share that with him. And I can tell you that 
you know, as much as there can be struggle and hardship and definitely loneliness, it has been the honor of a lifetime to, you know, wear the title of military spouse. And it, it has shaped who I am. And I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. We are so glad God has you um, in in your marriage and um, positioned just just right now for such a time as this to be doing the ministry that you're doing. So thank you for the book, Never Alone. Thank you for um, all that you're doing online. You guys can connect with Jessica, jessicamanfree1e.com um, or at inspireupfoundation.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, on this Memorial Day, we remember that it is for freedom that we have been set free. Let us uh, remember today the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And today, let's um, reconsider what it must be like to live in the circumstance where you are not free. God is sending his people into places to be his witnesses. It is happening. Um, And I thought that having a testimony from one who's not just going himself, but equipping many others to go and bring us stories of transformation from there. Todd Chaffee is going to join us next. He um, heads up the Calvin Prison Initiative. Maybe you have wondered um, in the past, or maybe you have been imprisoned in the past and have wondered how you might continue your education from that environment. Like, how are you going to um, renew your mind in your time of confinement and isolation? Um, education is a clear and necessary tool in addressing recidivism and making um, those who are incarcerated prepared for reentry into a world that changes while they're on the inside, but often doesn't give them credit for the ways in which they've changed while on the inside. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. Recidivism is a real problem. People who are in prison tend to return to prison. Why? Because the patterns of behavior aren't changed and the culture um, doesn't receive them as as people who are capable and changed and prepared to engage in a new life. And so the more education that is received the less likely an individual currently incarcerated is to be rearrested and re-imprisoned. And so there's a clear relationship between recidivism and education. So the Calvin Prison Initiative is a part of saying, okay, well, then this is a place that God's people can enter in, not just visiting those who are in prison, and, and not that the gospel isn't wonderful and great and necessary, But when we go into prisons, what are we doing? How are we actually serving the needs of those who are there in order that when they are um, released from prison, they would be not only prepared, but received into the culture as men and women um, prepared to serve? We're going to have that conversation with Todd Chaffee next. You're listening to Mornings for Carmen. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Todd Chaffee is joining us now. You can connect with him at calvin.edu. He's here to share with us about the Calvin Prison Initiative. Todd, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks. Good to be here, Carmen. So uh, let's approach this um, this way. 
Um, let's talk about the why, and then let's talk about the who, and then let's talk about the what. Would that be okay? Sure. Sounds good to me. All right. So why why should Christians even I'm this is gonna be an incredibly um uh a, a, a rhetorical question, but I want you to answer it nonetheless for folks sure. who might be listening who genuinely don't know. Why should Christians care about people in prison? Why should we visit them? And then why should we ask what are their needs in order to help them not return to prison? Right. Uh, fundamental questions for Christians. So to answer the first part, um, Jesus commanded us to visit prisoners. Uh, we see that in Matthew 25, of course. But we also notice throughout Scripture that prisoners play a role throughout God's narrative that the prisoner represents uh, those who have failed, perhaps those who have been taken advantage of, the vulnerable, and God seems to relate to those folks. <clears throat> and in fact, uh, through this prison work that I've been doing the last eight years, I've come to realize that I'm no different uh, than a murderer. I am no different from somebody who received a life sentence for the wrongs he's done. Uh, I think it's a metaphor for my own sin and my own uh, distance from God. And at the same time, then, a prisoner, as a metaphor, if you will, is also one who receives tremendous grace, uh, responds with tremendous gratitude, and now has new life. So that's the why. I think uh, in terms of visiting prisoners and getting to know them as human beings and not simply the dregs of society or the outcasts of society, uh, we learn about their backgrounds. I'd say 85% of the students in prison that we work with have very difficult backgrounds, very dysfunctional backgrounds. So that raises a whole host of social issues. Uh, 60 to 70% of all those incarcerated in the U.S. are people of color. And so we begin to look at the deeper questions of how did someone end up in prison? And when you begin to see some of the past of these people, frankly, it's not a surprise that they're in prison. And then in terms of what do they need, what do we need? I'll be honest with you, I, I think, again, this goes back to the gospel. Uh, God seeks relationship with us, covenant, communion, and uh, all those in society who are vulnerable, but all of us really, but especially the vulnerable, those, again, that society uh, kind of tucks away, they need rela relationships. <clears throat> they need humanizing relationships. They need friendship. Uh, they need love like all of us. And so one thing we try to strive for in our program is not simply education, uh, but community. So God always works in community. And so we try to provide uh, a loving, caring, redemptive community for those who are incarcerated. And frankly, uh, you begin to see transformation almost immediately. So I hope that got to those three uh, targets, if you will. It's fantastic, um, Todd. Thank you so much. And again, I know you guys are already going to be looking for information on this. I can send you the link directly if you text me, 877-933-2484. You can always go to calvin.edu backslash prison initiative. Um, we're talking about the Calvin Prison Initiative this morning, and we're talking with its director, Todd Chaffee. Um, Todd, talk about the link between education and recidivism or maybe education and not returning to prison. Yeah. So it's been uh, fascinating. In the last, I'd say, five decades, we've witnessed what uh, folks are calling mass incarceration in the United States. And we actually incarcerate uh, more than any other industrialized 
uh, country in the world. So the U.S. makes up just under 5% of the world's population, and we incarcerate 25% of the world's incarcerated. So we have a, a high um, level of incarceration in the U.S. At the same time, people have always been concerned to think through, well, what do we do? Uh, what, do we, what programs might work? Uh, what do we have to do to both keep people from going to prison and keeping people out of prison? Recent uh, studies have shown now that education is the key. So the RAND Corporation did a meta study of all data on education in prisons and found that any level of significant education in prison will lower recidivism or the rate at which somebody returns to prison after being released in the first three to five years, lowers recidivism by over 40%. If a person receives a BA degree in prison, that goes below 10%. If you receive a BA and an MA, it goes below 1%. Mm. So now we know that higher education, education can transform people. It can give them a sense of identity, a sense of purpose, and what the good is. And frankly, if you have those things, uh, why would you want to be deviant or do something to harm others or society? And so we now know that education really is the key to our mass incarceration problem. What have you um, witnessed to this point? Like, let's let's tell people a story of transformation through the Calvin Prison Initiative. Um, and then after the break, let's talk about, like, how it functions and how it works. But tell us a sure. story. So uh, there was a student in our program. His name is Marquise. And he comes from Flint, Michigan. And he comes from a very impoverished neighborhood. He's uh, African-American. And when he was growing up, um, his mother was on drugs. His father was in prison. Uh, his siblings were uh, getting involved in all sorts of things they shouldn't have been in. And he basically grew up on the streets. And he had no sense of purpose other than uh, gang life, frankly. And eventually he did go to prison for taking a life uh, as a gang member and drug dealer. He goes into prison and he begins just to continue that same lifestyle in prison. He begins to get introduced to Christianity. Uh, he shows some interest. He's not sure yet. The, he has a lot of bad habits to correct. But then he gets introduced to our program. So he's in our program inside the prison for three years. It's a five-year program. And he ends up being paroled. And now he's finishing his degree on the main campus. And just talking to him a couple of weeks ago, uh, he says, I have a completely new identity. Uh, he's mm. embraced Christianity. He's fully embraced the Calvin educational program. He's working full time. He's stable, paying bills. He's in a house. And for the first time in his life, he said, I'm actually happy. And for the first time in his life, he actually understands uh, what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian, and now what it means to love your neighbor, not steal from your neighbor. And so this is just a remarkable transformation and as he's telling you his story, the tears are just flowing down his cheeks. And he's filled with gratitude. He's just filled with gratitude because he realizes had he continued in the way he was, he either would have spent the rest of his life in prison or uh, he would have died at an early age. We're going to continue our conversation with Todd Chaffee in just a moment. We are talking about the Calvin Prison Initiative. I want you to imagine for a moment that there is a a Christian university experience. They are having the full Calvin university experience, but they are having it 
inside of a Michigan Department of Corrections facility. We're talking about the power of education. Um, We're also talking about the power of the redemptive people of God going into the places where Jesus has sent us in order that light might shine in darkness and people's lives might be transformed. So we're going to continue our conversation with Todd here in just a moment. In the meantime, if you want the link directly to the Calvin Prison Initiative, you can just text me 877-933-2484 or visit calvin.edu backslash prison initiative. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. All right, we're talking with Todd Chaffee. He heads up Calvin University's um, expression uh, for prisoners. I just describe it that way as for incarcerated people. It's called the Calvin Prison Initiative. And through this, um, folks are getting a full Calvin University experience, even um, inside or those who are inside um, prison facilities. And so, first of all, let's let's talk about how this works. Like, I'm, you know, first of all, you're a Christian university and you have this government relationship that makes, you know, people itchy and squishy and right. And 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 you're doing really good work in a really hard place. And then those people are going to get out of prison. And then what's going to happen, Todd? So, you know, you can right. just swim around in any of that. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> the program, let me describe the program a little bit. And this will, I think, get at uh, some of your questions. So Calvin University has an open policy in terms of enrollment, and that's a true on our main campus, where you don't have to be a Christian to attend Calvin. However, you are going to get the full Christian experience of a Christian higher education. And so when we made this relationship with the Michigan Department of Corrections, we said we're not looking to exclude anybody. In fact, we're looking to welcome everybody. And so when we admit uh, prisoners into our program, I'd say two-thirds are Christian. But then we have Muslims, we have people from other faith traditions, then of course we have men who have no faith tradition. And in that case, what we say is this, our goal, the mission of our program, very similar to the on-campus program, is that we want to help people, whether you're Christian or not, try to discover what it means to be human and what it means to live a good life. And so in that sense, I uh, suggest that our Calvin Prison Initiative is using education to build a moral and spiritual community in order that people of all backgrounds and all faiths eventually can go and either live out their religious vocation or at least live out a moral vocation. Now, for those who are Christian, of course, then we say, well, you're living out God's calling on your life. And that God has a purpose for you and ministry for you to do in life. What we found is that the Muslims and people of other faith traditions and even no faith traditions love this program. And we have many Muslims, especially, who love all the Christian theology and Bible and the whole bit. And they say that for once, they really are given a substantial worldview that includes God. And we've actually seen people convert to Christianity. Now, the the kind of evangelism part, if you will, is simply through the witness of Mm -hmm. being Christian educators, helping to create a moral and spiritual community. So we've seen a lot of um, really good outcomes of this approach. And then uh, because we use the word vocation a lot at Calvin University, uh, which is to say, what is God calling you to be and do in life? We prep them 
for a calling. So again, even if they're not uh, religious at all, we still say, well, that doesn't mean you don't have a calling on your life. There's such a thing as a moral calling. And so uh, that includes living in the prisons. And so really, uh, we focus this program on people who are doing long sentences. Two-thirds of our students are serving life sentences. And we wanted to say that you're not worthless. Uh, you deserve education. And you can even have a calling in prison and be a servant leader in prison. And so we set guys up for that. If they're going to parole, which now we've had 16 guys parole out of our program, we do the same. We invite them into the Calvin community here in Grand Rapids on the main campus. And we begin to work with them and help reform them in terms of a life calling on the outside. And of course, there's more options on the outside. And so we've had guys go into business. Uh, we've had guys go into social work and all sorts of activities. And they discovered that they had gifts and uh, skills for this that they never would have imagined, say, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago. So the program is as much as possible as we can, the same sort of experience you'd have on the main campus at Calvin University. We're simply helping people through education discover who they are as God's creatures, uh, who they are as called by Jesus um, to live out their calling. Um, so Todd, who who's paying for this? Like how, yeah. how is this happening? Um, and then how can people learn more? Sure. So when we started, uh, you brought up the question about the kind of almost church-state relationship. When we started, we were very clear that while we were being allowed to do this program inside of a state prison, we did not want state or federal money because as a Christian institution, we really wanted to have full control of our curriculum. And so we did not take any uh, state or federal money, and the whole program was donor-funded. Now, this program costs us just about a million dollars a year. And until two years ago, uh, it was all donor funded. Uh, we didn't even take money off our operating budget from the university. All the money had to come from the outside. And we found that there were donors out there who just loved the idea of this program, loved the program. And so we've had a little difficulty, frankly, raising the funds for the program. About two years ago, we felt that we were fully established as a program, as a Christian higher ed program. And then we had an opportunity to apply for second chance Pell Grants through the federal government. And uh, there used to be Pell Grants available to prisoners prior to 1994. Uh, the Clinton administration actually removed access for incarcerated people to receive a Pell Grant. And that virtually decimated all college programs across the country. And so we felt that we were ready to look into what a Pell Grant from the federal government looked like. And we realized that there were very few restrictions and that being a, a faith institution, a Christian institution was fine, uh, according to the feds. So now we do receive Pell Grants and that covers about 40% of our costs. And we still have to fundraise for 60% of our costs. <clears throat> we think uh, the federal Pell Grants are gonna allow more sustainability for our program going forward. And now we are working with the state of Michigan to even perhaps get a grant of two to 3,000 per student to help close the gap, if you will, where the Pell Grants uh, can't cover. And we hope this is a model for other schools, um, Christian, secular, other schools in Michigan and ideally across the country. So um, it's been a hard road, but we've uh, figured it out, I think. And we're gonna see more and more schools, colleges and universities start programs this July because now the Biden administration lifted all restrictions 
for incarcerated people that if they qualify for a Pell Grant, they may receive a Pell Grant. And we're just gonna see a lot more schools um, getting involved. Now, here's my hope. My hope is that Christian colleges and universities across the country start these programs. Uh, we have found that to be a Christian university and to have this program with a clear Christian witness um, is miles ahead of a lot of other programs. And it makes a huge difference in these prisons and in lives of people which then is to say in the community from which these people came. And so this is an opportunity for Christians to have a huge, huge impact on this country. Again, we incarcerate as an industrialized advanced country more than any other. And so uh, we have an opportunity to change that and be witness to the, in this country, but even in the world, frankly. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, you guys have heard the language of second chance on multiple occasions before. We recently had a conversation about second chance month with our friends over at Prison Fellowship from the Colson Center. Um, We're talking today um, about the Calvin Prison Initiative. I know that if you are interested in learning more, maybe you are related to an institution of higher education that's a Christian university. I know a lot of you listening are. Um consider this, pray about this, get more information. I'll send you the direct link if you text me, 877-933-2484. Otherwise, um, not hard um, to find Todd. He is at calvin.edu. Choffee is spelled C-I-O-F-F-I. Um, I hope you'll come back. This was very interesting. Great. I'd love to, and thank you for this uh, opportunity to share this. Yeah, thank you so much. That's Todd Choffee. He heads up the Calvin Prison Initiative for Calvin University. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Let us remember today the cost of freedom. As Christians, we remember the cost of our ultimate freedom in Christ, and as Americans, we remember the lives given by our fellow Americans in order that freedom might ring not only here, but for others captive around the world. And so let's give God the glory today. Let's remember and ask him to help us to never forget. Father God, we thank you for those who have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. And we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus in whose name we pray. Friends, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.